brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right. We're talking about the psychology of homelessness. And, you know, we're just seeing so much of this in our in our societies today. And I think all across the world, you know, homelessness is something that so many of us have to live with. This, I have a, a guy on my street that um, is homeless, and he's worked on... Are my house, and he's worked on my neighbor's house for years. Uh, not mine for years, but my neighbor's, and very hard worker. Uh, he just, I think he's, I think he had a criminal background. He suddenly disappeared sometime in April, and uh, I heard from my neighbor that he had drowned in uh, Puget Sound, and nobody knew how or why or what, but. What's really interesting is it really hit home that this poor guy, he struggled. He struggled. He wanted to make money honestly. I'm sure there was something in his background. He was not, he was not, uh, as far as what I knew, he wasn't mentally ill. He may have had some drug addiction or something like that. But, you know, he mowed lawns or or cleaned my neighbor's car, did stuff like that. And, And it just hit me that, you know, this, this stuff is real and it's difficult and it's horrible. Um, these folks I'm seeing on the streets uh, nowadays living in Seattle, it's just a big tent city here. There's just everywhere you go, everywhere you go along the freeways, in your city, in your parks, there's homeless. And, and it's just overwhelming. And it's sad because here in Seattle, the uh, housing is so expensive. Even apartments are, are just hugely expensive, so much so that these Folks, even if they had an honest job at, like, let's say, just a Starbucks or just a simple retail job, they could never, ever, without several roommates, afford to live here. And and it's sad. It's it just is, you know. And as I grew up, I, there was a Dutch author that really hit me uh, very well. His name was Jean de Hartog. And he wrote this book called The Call of the Sea. But he also wrote another book in Houston about basically living as a homeless person. And, um, you know, this guy, he lived without fear. He, he lived without the need for a stable life. But he lived in faith. And, and he uh, lived out on the sea. He fought in World War II. Um, and then, you know, ended up being uh, working for his uh, first mate on, on his first mate ship. And, and it's just amazing how he grappled with a life where he just roved and roved and roved uh, around the world and, and never really had that, that one thing uh, to call a home. And that was another way of living. And, and he had a very simplistic life. And, and so I, when I read that book, I identified that not all these people that are out on the streets are, are, are addicted or mentally ill. They're just homeless. And some people choose to be homeless. Some people have to be homeless because they have no other choice. And then there's people that are street people that have always lived on the streets because they don't want to live in a home. They don't want to live with people. They don't want to live in any other capacity than trying to survive on the streets. You know, as cities across this country and in the world 
grapple with people living in the streets, homelessness is becoming really impossible for us to ignore. More than a half a million Americans are homeless each night, including a staggering 2.5 million children who are homeless in any given year. And children are homeless in every city, in every county, and every state. You know, um, it's really important for us to understand that, that as long as there's no option of sleeping indoors, the government can't criminalize indigenous homeless people for sleeping outdoors on public property on false premise that they had a choice in the matter. You know, it's just, you know, why aren't there more shelters to house the homeless? What, why are people being arrested for sleeping on the streets, even though they are no shelter beds for them to sleep in? And so there's a lot of talk uh, uh, and there's a lot of uh, activity legally to try to grapple with homelessness in our country. And, and I'm sure there's laws all over the world that do this. But the homeless population includes victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, individuals who are employed but can't afford the costs of housing, mentally ill people, people that um, have gotten out of prison or have a criminal background and don't want to be found. Um, you know, individuals that, that uh, uh, just need to be able to find food. You know, I, I, one shelter-fits-all approach is not going to work to this thing. A victim of domestic violence, for example, may not need a safe uh, co-ed shelter. They might prefer to live on the street because a shelter for women and children only would be a better fit in that situation if they're safe. You know, a drug addiction leads many people into homelessness, you know, uh, 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 uh. there's a, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania that was interviewed by... Um, uh, 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 Anderson Cooper, and his name is uh, Dennis Kowoon, and he's been researching homelessness for about 35 years, and he doesn't believe drug addiction and mental illness explain why there's been a rise in the number of homeless. You know, why is it happening is, is something that uh, Anderson Cooper asked. And the best evidence we have is that the real estate market, you have a lot of wealthier people, especially in places like Seattle, who are driving up the price of housing, and there's just not enough housing to filter down to the lower income people. So homelessness has been an invisible problem in the United States until recently, but as it increases, it affects more neighborhoods across the country. And so people will have to wake up to the problem and search for solutions one of these days. And there, there's already been some successes. You know, the, 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 the federal government uh, committed money for housing subsidies and, and support uh, social services for veterans especially, but the number of homeless veterans has declined by 50% in the last 10 years. So private individuals are starting to give back to the community, like Jeff, Jeff Bezos. He's the founder of Amazon, and he committed more than $300 million to help the homeless in Seattle and other parts of the country. Apple has pledged $2.5 billion in California. But, uh, you know, these donations only go so far. You know, st uh, federal, state, and local agencies need to play a role in finding solutions to uh, this humanitarian crisis. And, and there are national estimates out there that 20 to 25 percent of homeless are mentally ill. And of those, 
have personality or psychiatric disorders like bipolar, depression, paranoia, borderline, antisocial, schizoid, delusional, psychotic. There's all kinds of stuff. And a lot of that stuff is organic. Or if it's a personality disorder, it's, it's formed from abuse in childhood and neglect in childhood where they were not able to form an identity they formed an identity in how they reacted to the world and the fact that they were never safe in childhood. And so that becomes a personality disorder. You can't medicate it, can't do anything like that with stuff like that. So a lot of these people struggle with undiagnosed uh, autism. Uh, Many can't learn from their repeated mistakes and are constantly in conflict and rude with nearly everyone who tries to help them because they can't control their behavior during normal or especially stressful interactions. And about 40% of homeless struggle with alcohol, 25% with drug abuse. On any given day in the U.S., 22% of the unknown homeless population are children 40% are women, and 35% are families. So homeless people often have traits, ideas, characteristics that are similar to ours, yet widely different. So based on these observations, you know, there's there's some things that we have to understand. Some of them that are homeless, some of those folks grew up poor often over many generations, and they never broke out of their family's pattern of poverty. Um, Some speak differently. They use uh, 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 strangers or or authority figures that are more uh, casual. So some some people in in these homeless shelters don't connect with other people. And, and I've had uh, clients who, who have been homeless and can't seem to connect with people yet on certain levels or on certain topics, but they can't seem to connect in regular conversation. Uh, some folks are, are just have a very small vocabulary. They have a limited education. Maybe they can't even read or write. And they hurt their development as communicators. So the simple words and the clear questions or instructions Uh, work best with those folks, but the bottom line is they typically don't know when they're violating because they may not be able to understand or even read. Um, You know, these folks often um, pay attention to nonverbal cues. They read body language. They read vocal inflection. They read tone perceptions and volume because oftentimes with the low vocabulary, by learning how to read people, they understand if you're approachable or not. And so those of you who are not homeless, pay attention because your body language may indicate something you don't want to indicate, like if you're afraid. Um, you know, they argue differently. Uh, people in homeless are often very quick and strong, and they start out loud and they get louder and without much warm-up. And I'll tell you, if they're drug-induced or alcohol-induced, they're 10 times worse and very dangerous. And so, you know, you have to watch out, and especially if they live in an encampment, people like that can be very, very dangerous people. You know, they also respect is a huge role for the homeless. They see it as earned through fair, humane, and consistent treatment, uh, not shouting, not force or punishment. So what they're basically wanting is to feel like they have a voice when they're with you. Even if they are homeless, you as a person and us as, as a Christian, if you are a Christian, 
you need to give them a voice. It's important. It may not be a voice you understand, but that sense of respect is all they have. And so it's important if you can give them some. You know, they also look at time entirely different. They don't they don't they don't have much to do over a 24-hour period uh, and beyond tomorrow is a long time for them. So for them, they typically form patterns throughout the day of when they sleep, what they do, how they get food, when they ask people with their signs, uh, how they live is a, usually a very routine thing because that gives them a sense of safety to be able to fall into that. And so, you know, the, a lot of the homeless will value relationships with other homeless people and other people in their life. Uh, and that is an interesting factor. They're, they're highly protective of their peers and they, they share lots of information with each other safe public places, uh, fair or mean employees in, in agencies and, and grocery stores and in, in other retail areas, uh, security guards or police, what they act like, where to get free food, where to get clothing, where to get support, which shelters to go to. These are all important factors for folks that are homeless. And, and so they value, especially it's kind of sad, but they value their possessions and they have an understandable, strong emotional attachment, much like a hoarder, to the stuff in their bags. And it's often truly all they have in this world. And, and uh, so it's important to understand from their perspective how they see life so that we can be safe and we can form some kind of a relationship and even maybe a mentorship of some kind. You know, uh, uh, th as far as space, they view it very differently. Every room they're in is the same as any other room, and it's to be used the same way, no matter where it is or who else is there. And, and a lot of these people are very sarcastic and can be funny and, and uh, can really see comedy in their existence. And sometimes that helps them be resilient. And, and a lot of them have had experienced more trauma than most people, and this includes repeated exposure to physical assaults, sexual abuse, evictions, abandonment, random targeted violence, brain injuries, arrests, job loss, relationship losses. All of these things can stack on these homeless folks and really get them down. And these folks are in more danger. They cannot always protect themselves, especially women. When homeless individuals are asleep, this population has a lot of accompanying and untreated PTSD problems like rape. You know, a lot of, by living in poverty, a lot of these folks also have a lower IQ that they develop by living in poverty. So their education often stopped early and their lives are on the streets has hurt their capacity to learn and remember because they're living in a very reactive mode rather than a proactive mode. And some have a lot less self-worth. Most homeless people have almost none after six months of living in the streets and the shelters and have to resort to begging to survive. And this can be a very difficult place to go for these people. You know, a lot of these people are treated like they don't exist. They're treated like crap. Um, just about every non-homeless person looks down on them, literally, as they sit below normal human eye level on the sidewalk all day asking for money. And their self-esteem fades to nothing. These folks also have trouble, which doesn't make them any more 
uh, attractive. They also have trouble with trust. And all of us have trouble with trust, but these folks especially have a heightened sense of mistrust. Their behavior and life circumstances has basically caused them to be abandoned by family members, employers, landlords, co-workers, friends, spouses, partners, children. And so, you know, these folks have a different set of, of uh, markings as far as where their values are. And by the way, they do value one big thing, and that's fairness. But I would tell you that fair is a place where they judge pigs. There's no such thing as fair in this life. Uh, we are very human, and we are evil, and we are good, and we are everything in between. And, and the truth is, if they get a sense of fairness, um, they feel better. That may make their day. It may make their week. Um, you know, I, I often carry, like, water in my car. And so I I never have a problem reaching out and giving a homeless person uh, a water. You know, I'm not going to give them money because money I give to charities. And I let those charities do the real work to a lot of people and rather than trying. Or if, sometimes if I see a family uh, uh, with kids, I know that can be a trap. I know that could be fake, but but uh, sometimes I'll, I'll I'll do that too. But um, bottom line is, folks, you know this society as a whole needs to develop a dialogue in dealing with homelessness in a real way and not a way that just sustains it or supports it, like San Francisco and Seattle, but a way that we cure it. And, and and we have the brains and we have the resources to do that kind of stuff. While it's not required that you actually walk a mile in the shoes of a homeless person, to fully understand the complexities and the difficulties of their lives, the insights are useful to start help you see them as humans in crisis. And maybe you'll decide to volunteer uh, and, and maybe you, you'll send some money to a shelter or maybe give to your church who may give generously to the poor. You know, we have what's called the Gospel Mission in Seattle, and they do an awesome job helping the homeless and supporting them and even parenting many of them. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the types of homeless people, what they're like, what, what, what that makes them human, and uh, what you don't know about them. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. 
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the psychology of homelessness. And, and, you know, when most people think about homelessness, their minds jump to images of someone sleeping or living in the streets. You know, but in reality, homelessness takes many forms, and it isn't always obvious. Even up from up close, homelessness can essentially be broken down into four categories. The biggest one is the chronics. And, and then there's the other folks that, that usually go in episodes. Some people are transitional and some people are just flat out hidden, you know, and, and I'll go into some detail here in a second. But the federal definition of a chronically homeless individual describes them as either an unaccompanied homeless individual with a disabling condition who has been continuously homeless for a year or more, or has had a minimum of four episodes of homelessness in the previous three years. So based on the most recent information, any given night, there's roughly about 87,000 chronically homeless people just in the U.S. representing, and I would suggest that this number is probably a lot higher since coronavirus, but about 24% of the total homeless population are the chronics. And typically, these individuals are older, Mm -hmm. they have complex uh, long-term health issues, often live on the street, in a park, in a car, or other locations that's not suitable for human habitation. Mm -hmm. And then there's these episodic type of homeless people, and they, they basically are currently homeless and have experienced at least three periods of homeless in the past year. These folks are often younger and suffer from some some type of uh, disabling conditions such as substance abuse, uh, mental illness like schizophrenia, and also medical problems. And God forbid these people not be treated medically. Um, You know, transitional homelessness is another factor, and that's actually the most common type of homelessness. These people are likely to be younger. Uh, Generally, they live in shelters or temporary housing uh, for a brief stay. In this situation, it could be usually is a result of a catastrophic event or a sudden life change. Then there's this um, other type of homeless, and it's, it's often not reported, and it's often not documented. And that is the individuals that are, are, are provisionally occupied is basically what the category is. And they're experiencing what is known as hidden homelessness. And this essentially refers to people that are basically couch surfing. They're, they're in temporary living circumstances going from one to another without a guarantee that they'll be able to stay for long term and without immediate prospects for acquiring permanent housing. And this often describes people staying with friends or relatives because they lack 
other housing opportunities. And this basic population is considered hidden because they do not access homeless supports and services despite their need for them. And, and, and so they don't appear to in the standard statistics of homelessness. Now, let's just go down a little bit deeper. What is this chronic homelessness? This is one of the most uh, well-known types. And it's defined as being homeless for longer than a year. And many times these have something that is preventing them from fighting their way out of it, uh, whether it's mental illness, uh, a physical disability, addiction. You know, a bipolar person, a bipolar one, these people are manic and they just go up and down like a yo-yo. And they cannot hold a job. And they explode and they're irritable. And they're, they sometimes they're happy. Sometimes they're very sad. But they usually go from one extreme to another. And it's so crazy that a lot of them simply cannot survive in normal society. And then there's, you know, uh, uh, uh this, this uh, episodic aspect, and, and, you know, within a year, after four episodes, they're basically chronically homeless, but episodic homelessness usually afflicts younger people that are fighting uh, health issues or addictions. That's usually the episodic ones. And then there's this transitional aspect, and, and this is... Uh, Usually the one that's going through major life change, maybe they lost their, their disability, maybe they lost their some form of income, or, and there usually is some catastrophic event involved. Many times when people lose their jobs, suddenly and unexpectedly, they face transitional homelessness while they look for a new job. And then there's this hidden homeless that I talked about earlier, and and. These people are just couch surfers that sometimes they're like college students. Um, they live like college students, but they're not in college. And they just go from friend to friend or resource to resource. And, um, and they basically uh, rely on donations from people and churches and facilities and places where they can get food. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing how resourceful some of these people can be in finding the pockets of society that will support them and sustain them as they maintain a homeless life. You know, the words and labels we use to define, like the ones I've been talking about, describe, they categorize uh, people, it greatly influences our perception and our attitudes. But in turn, our perceptions and attitudes play an essential role in shaping policies and practices impacting numerous groups of people. I can tell you, you know, I have a six-year-old and just dri- driving down the street when he sees all these homeless people, they're just out there everywhere. And it's hard for him to decipher wh- which ones are not and which ones are. As you get older, it's a little easier. But the bottom line is to answer the questions about these folks and how they live and, and what they live off of and watching them uh, dumpster dive and him watching them drink other people's sodas and eat food that's been in the that somebody threw away, it's pretty amazing to have to answer those questions about that life, and and you have to worry that uh, that influences him. But he doesn't understand that how dangerous the situation can be. But it's so important for us as a society to say, hey, if we want to live in a safe society, if we want to live in a safe world. We need to solve homeless if we're not going to have mentally ill people in institutions, if we're not going to uh, 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 treat drug addiction on a wider scale and and alcohol addiction on a wider scale. You know, you're always going to have these people roaming around that don't want to have a home. 
you're always going to have that element. We've had it since we became human. Uh, and so it's, it's just amazing, though, that we as a society trying to strive to have safety and security in our communities, um, we're not striving to solve the problems that would make us safer as people. You know, it, it's, I can't tell you how many times my ring alarm uh, goes off and takes pictures and turns on all the lights, the floodlights out in front of my house uh, due to homeless people just investigating and trying to find some something to take, some place to stay, some place to, you know, where they can hide. But it's amazing how many in an evening uh, of those videos do I get. And it's amazing how many other ring people who are all connected, we all can watch each other's videos and after we put them out there and to see what some of these folks do in the middle of the night. And there's a lot of homeless out there living in the evening and sleeping all day because that's when they can access getting more things for themselves. You know, it's important to raise awareness and use the terms the homeless, homeless people in reference to people experiencing homelessness. Uh, you know, it, you don't want to perpetuate oppression and inequality, but you want to lead to transform how we define, describe, and categorize people experiencing homelessness. And, and it's important to, to look at the historical connotations behind uh, labeling people who are homeless and, and links to this underpin in the terms of the homeless, the homeless people, because then we dehumanize them by calling them these labels. But, you know, a concluding discussion offers a, a language reframing model, including using person-first language as methodology for influencing uh, public perception and attitudes. That means we call the person by their name rather than view them as non-human. And it's so important for us to humanize them. But if we're going to systemically fix the problem of homelessness, the biggest thing is we need to target the aspects of homelessness that we need to get our hands on. And that's children and women first, mentally ill next, people that are addicted next, and then we'll have to deal with the fringe of people who just live on the streets and, and set the rules around that. But there's ways in which we can socially deal with each of these categories to systemically bring down the amount of homeless people we have in our community. There's language of reframing and changing language as a system that's going to be necessary, but it's not easy. It's just like I'm doing a show later on in a few weeks on uh, systemic uh, racism, but it's basically – Calling uh, systemic racism is falling into the system of labeling these people rather than solving the problems. So we just kind of shake our head and go, okay, there's another crazy. Okay, there's another homeless. But we do nothing, nothing about it. And, and one person is not going to be able to solve everything, but maybe one leader could solve. Maybe there's somebody out there who can really shake the trees and form a coalition of mighty, powerful people with money and resources that can get underneath this thing and solve it. And solve it and then offer the solution to our government. Maybe. Maybe that can happen. You know, it's also important to qualify public perceptions and attitudes that are beneficial to, to linkages to directly influencing this kind of behavior. In essence, how we see someone shapes how we treat them. 
For example, the more people we feel compassion for who are homeless, the more they donate money. So if the media portrayed homelessness as getting worse instead of better, people could see that there are more structural factors linked to homelessness. And that we've seen during the coronavirus, unfortunately. People lost their jobs, lost their resources. Maybe they don't have the understanding of how to file for unemployment. Maybe they never had employment in the first place. And they have no resources, no resources. Here in Washington, during the beginning of coronavirus, uh, basically about $300 million in unemployment magically disappeared. And uh, wow, a lot of people that should have gotten unemployment and got furloughed didn't get it. And it's awful. It's awful. And and our government here in Washington just sits there and thinks it's okay. I know they got rid of the leader, uh, like like that's the person that took the money. But the bottom line is, there's a lot of things that go on in this life that that uh, allow uh, us to just look the other way. You know. Um, it's important to understand that there needs to be a, a structural system of language, uh, a, a, a type of support for core values in a community, empowerment, promoting people's health, well-being, respect for human diversity, social justice, community. Uh, people will lead to dismantling language systems, hopefully, especially from a psychological perspective, while reframing the language may be a small step but it may also change how someone perceives uh, the homeless. You know, the next time you pass a homeless person on the street, try to try to envisage what really went wrong. You know, it's it's amazing. Um, I remember stopping at a stoplight, and there's this kid. And I've seen him like three or four times. I've given him water and stuff. But the, the thing is, he um, he's never been homeless. He he's just homeless because he's here. In Seattle, he has no money, and uh, he's living under a bridge, basically. And I'm watching him, and he's just withering, withering away. And, uh, you know, I've called out to a couple places just to try to help the poor guy. But, you know, it's it's just amazing because they're overwhelmed. The system is just not set up for this kind of a massive uh, sense of homelessness. And that affects us because that affects our properties, that affects our good, the things we have at home, that affects our children's safety, it affects whether we can walk down the street or when we can walk down the street or how we can walk down the street, where we have to walk, where we have to navigate. So, you know, it, we have to be careful uh, because we've allowed this thing to grow and grow and grow. But the main cause of homelessness in both the USA is poverty and, and anywhere around the world. It's poverty. But the homelessness are not all dropouts or, or professional failures. Most one in 10 homeless persons in the USA have been veterans. And that's getting better, by the way. They have difficulties in adjusting to civilian life. Many have mental health problems due to the fact they, they were in war. And they suffer from PTSD. And then they live on the street. And it just exacerbates the whole thing. Los Angeles itself has the highest number of homeless veterans. It's around 6,300, and I bet there's more than that. But many U.S. cities are now uh, uh, next in line uh, to have that kind of a number. And and I would suggest that here in Seattle, we probably have that number too. And there are many uh, female veterans who are at an increased risk. 
um, you know, they're not all victims of poverty, but, you know, they may be escaping uh, war or disease or death, um, you know, and, and they may be victims of domestic violence and may not feel safe around other people. Uh, and so they, they hide. Maybe they hide in buildings. Maybe they hide in uh, houses that are empty. But this happens, folks. You know, and, and homeless children, we sometimes think that many homeless women are on the streets because they have lost their job, partners, or housing. But statistics tell a different story. The National uh, Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty calculates that 90% of all homeless women are there as a result of domestic violence. And it's heartbreaking to think that homelessness may be the one only alternative when escaping from physical or sexual abuse. So we sometimes associate that with the adult population, but the statistics tell another. Rather than uh, a, a, a really bad story of, of the six, 600,000 homeless people in the USA streets every night, up to 25% of them are children or teenagers, and they may be camping out in cars and parks and other risky areas. So, you know, there's about 1 million homeless children who are attending public schools, and that includes those waiting for adoption or who are in, tra- or in transitional accommodation, which is why that figure is so high. And there may be uh, lots of victims of that domestic violence. We sometimes think um, these, these people have just, once again, lost their jobs, but they're escaping terrorism in their own home. And they may not have the support or the resources to be able to make a life for themselves so they have no other choice but to live on the streets with their children to protect. And they may not have been able to pay their rent. You know, sometimes we imagine that homeless people made a choice to abandon everything and live a carefree life. But in a lot of cases, nothing could be further from the truth. It's when people on lower incomes have to fork out more than half of their salary for renting miserable accommodations uh, uh, the, the disaster will loom. And this is another reason why so many people are homeless today. And, and so, you know, the, there's, the U.S. needs about 7 million low-cost accommodation units to remedy the housing crisis. And, and they, a lot of these people may be regarded as, as criminals. And you may think that a homeless person would be assisted by state or local authorities, but the reality is totally different. In some U.S. states, authorities are cracking down on begging homelessness and loitering by making them criminal offenses. And they're basically just running them out of their cities and their states. And, of course, they're going to go to places like Seattle or San Francisco that will accommodate them. All right, we're going to take a quick break, then we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the psychology of homelessness, and then we're going to go into a sense of encampments and what that's all about. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951 951- 
818-785-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, Please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the psychology of homelessness. And, you know, I'm not advocating that all these homeless people are the kindest, best people, but I'm saying that they've been, they've had a rough life. A lot of them have had a very reactive life, and just living as a homeless person, they have a very traumatized life. And uh, obviously, they're living uh, without necessarily the safety and the protection that most people have, especially if they're out living in a tent somewhere, you know. But the bottom line is we do have to, as a society, even if it's just a selfish motive of keeping our family safe, we really need to take on the challenges, especially in these big cities where people just herd into these big cities like Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Probably New York at this point with Bill de Blasio and I'm sure other places. But, you know, these these folks, they herd into these cities because these cities support them better. We as a country need to systemically fix this problem and have a system in place for every city to deal with their homeless populations. You know, many of these folks may desperately want to get back into society and get back into work. Uh, perhaps we think the homeless people we uh, never really want or wanted to work, but in many cases it's not true. They sought jobs without success or were forced into poverty. You know, uh, uh, some some uh, folks, you know, took on part-time jobs, took on contract jobs, or whatever they could do just to get by. Some some of these folks have a trade. Some of these are painters. Some of these folks can do yard work. Some of these folks can do uh, carpentry. And, and it's amazing, but they live from paycheck to paycheck or from day to day uh, in this lifestyle of homelessness. And there's also uh, so much stigma attached to this homeless thing. It's difficult to overcome it. You know, uh, some homeless people uh, have a lot of talents, skills, uh, and handicaps, you know, speaking several languages. Some are, are biology graduates. Some recover from open heart surgery or being born deaf or having medical bills that they just couldn't pay for. 
there's a whole lot of stories out there and the homeless people have a story and and uh you know you might find that you have more compassion once you hear some of their stories you know it, it betweens it, it, homelessness exists when people lack safe stable appropriate places to live sheltered and unsheltered pe- people are homeless People living doubled up or in overcrowded living situations or motels because of inadequate economic resources are also in that definition. There's also, like we have here in Seattle, those that live in tents or uh, temporary enclosures, you know, but about two to three million just in the U.S. experience an episode each year. And, and the, the psychological, the physical impact of homelessness is a matter of public health. And, and that's the other thing that, you know, coronavirus spreads in these communities, especially encampments. It, it spreads and they don't have the ability to come to grips with what they have. And some of them it's active, some of it's inactive, but it kills and it kills this population in particular in a very large scale. You know, th- this, this uh, coronavirus has exacerbated our country. Uh, and it's exacerbated our resources. And, and the overall uh, population of people living without homes, it, it, it can be divided into adults, families with children, unaccompanied youth. But there's also a lot of diversity and the behavioral characteristics of pe- people living without homes. There's also structural psychological factors that can blind a, a, a high risk of homelessness. You know, until 2008, when uh, instability hit back then, just like it's hit here in uh, 2020, it results in significant increase in the loss of housing among blue-collar workers and the middle class. And the great majority of people who experienced homelessness were extremely poor. But among, you know, seeking emergency shelter for the first time, most people fall well below nationally established indicators of poverty. You know, also what's not being said here is like hurricanes and tornadoes. They do their damage and some insurance companies, God forbid, are not out there to help you, of course. And uh, you may have paid your bills, but they have a contract with you that's very limited as to what they can do for you. And to recover your life from those circumstances can throw you back into poverty and God help you. God help you. You know, that's 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 the great thing about Christianity, folks, is that it does bring us to the idea of helping the poor, the innocent people who struggle. And it's important for us to have a heart for that. You know, about 42% of the population of people living without homes is uh, African Americans. About uh, 39% are Caucasians, 13% are Latinos, and this is an American statistic. Native Americans is about 4%, Asians is about 2%. You know, the most obvious deficiency is is uh, the imbalance between the demand for low-income, affordable housing, and its limited availability, and, and that's called Section 8 housing. And um, But the big deal is the inadequate education. A lot of these folks dropped out. Uh, which quashed their opportunities to earn incomes. They dropped out of high school, dropped out of school, and, and they they don't have the, the either the mental 
uh, understanding of gaining resources or the sense of understanding how to regain their life. But substance use is what they oftentimes will migrate to. And in these encampments, that's why a lot of them live there because they can basically sell to each other and help for each other, provide for each other, and exacerbate their substance abuses. But over the course of about five or six years, there's been a migration involving homeless people from downtown Los Angeles to Skid Row to communities across L.A. County, for instance, and homeless encampments have been spreading in similar fashion in larger cities. And so you may live in a neighborhood in which this type of activity is occurring. I know I do. And, you know, th- there's people and there's encampments. And as you see more and more homeless people and encampments appearing in your neighborhood, you may be wondering what you should do in response. Well, number one, What's your home value and how much do you have into it? Because if you want your home value to go down, live in a homeless community or near a homeless community, and all of a sudden safety comes into mind and people don't want to buy in those kind of areas. So if you have a lot of money invested in your home, you may want to think about trying to invest in your community to offset the homelessness that is creeping into your community. And there's some strategies that you should consider employing in regard to homeless people and encampments you encounter. There's also some steps you should not take when it comes to homeless people encampments in your area. First of all, protect your property. You know, a general step you need to take when you begin to see homeless people in encampments in your neighborhood is to consider a review of your home security. That's the first thing I did when I bought a home is, man, locking the gates, putting uh, the, 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 the security cameras up, being able to film what's going on, having a doorbell that takes pictures. You know, you, you need to have a serious consideration to installing cameras around the perimeter of your property. You also want to make sure that you have a comprehensive alarm system that covers your doors, your windows, as well as your motion sensors within your home. And when homeless people begin to appear in your neighborhood, if if a homeless encampment rises, you should also put no trespassing signs at different locations around the perimeter of your property. And you can file a no trespassing form with the local law enforcement serving your neighborhood. This helps to buttress the effectiveness of no trespassing signs placed in the property. But it needs to be filled out annually if you do something like that. You also have to uh, uh, request homelessness encampment cleanups. If homelessness encampment is on public property, request a cleanup from the government agency responsible for keeping public areas clean. In Los Angeles, you can do that. uh, For homeless encampment cleanup on private property, you need to hire services of biohazard cleaning companies that specialize in removing homeless encampments. And, and so that, that there's companies out there that do that. But you need to contact law enforcement. That's another one. It's very important. Contact law enforcement about the situation in your neighborhood, depending on the community in which you reside. By the way, I've done that before. And basically, Seattle's police said, no, too bad. Um, you know, depending on the community in which you reside, you may not get much of a response from the police, but in some communities you may be able to get a response. And so there's some steps you can do to better ensure some type of activity of law enforcement. And if you observe a crime being committed by a homeless person or criminal activity around a homeless encampment, that does not provide you an immediate reason to contact a police or sheriff. Depending on the nature of the crime you observe, you may be able to get a relatively rapid response from law enforcement. I know that around Christmas time and around the holidays, sure enough, 
uh, as those Amazon packages arrive at your doorstep, they magically disappear. I've seen, I've had people with strollers taking packages from our front door. And so, you know, I have them throw the packages over the fence these days. Um, you know, you need to have a strategy around public intoxication, trespassing, public urination. You know, if you report you've witnessed a crime, you know, maybe they'll dispatch an officer, but you're, you'll, you might have to be asked if you do that to sign off on an arrest warrant. And if you do that and the homeless person finds out you did that, guess what they do with their community? They talk to the community about who signed their arrest warrant. So, you know, you, you may or may not be protected when you get in the way of that. So I'm not trying to send you mixed signals, but I'm saying think it through. Have a strategy. Develop a neighborhood strategy if you can and see what resources among you is available. If, if you encounter an older or a minor homeless person, consider contacting Adult Protective Services or Child Protective Services. These are agencies under uh, 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 any kind of social services in your city, and you can make a report to both agencies online. And, and so you may want to look for that. And depending on the circumstances for people, there may be some type of assistance that can be provided to an older adult or child. And the net effect of that can be getting a person who has been living on the streets in your neighborhood into a better situation, not only for that person, but for you and your family as well. We all benefit when we help the homeless in a good way. No matter how badly you feel about a homeless person situation, you should not give them money or even food. Taking steps like this can result in entanglements that you didn't anticipate. Now they may uh, uh, expect it every time they see you, and you may not have those resources available. And what's amazing to me is people asking for money these days. A lot of people don't carry money anymore. And so, you know, you should avoid any type of unnecessary direct contact with an encampment or, or, or any uh, undo uh, what looks like an unsafe interaction with the residents of an encampment because they talk among themselves. <laughs> so, cities, suburban communities, rural areas, if we can all get it together and try to come up with some strategies and then take the best strategies that work for the urban settings, that work for the big cities, that work for the rural areas, and we empower our, our social system, we empower our law enforcement, we empower our communities to provide a better way to deal with them, what we may find is that we find a strategy to resolve this problem that doesn't directly hit the taxpayer. Um, and that's where we all need to begin to have a heart for the problem. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can do that at voiceamerica.com. The Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, here's a homeless, not, uh, here's a homeless sign. I have had 16 wives, 25 children, 12 thin dogs, 3 thin cats, still horny, and Loose changes appreciated. <laughs> you know, back in the day, back when Obama was president, there was a guy that had a sign, Obama ain't the only one who wants change. <laughs> also, uh, another homeless approach. I need cash for homeless research. <laughs> also, 
you know, camping, where you spend countless dollars to live like a homeless person. That's what camping is. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 